Hello fellow homebrewers, JP here, and I want to introduce to you the brand new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Series available at More Beer. More Beer sells the highest standard in homebrewing equipment, and the Brewbuilt Conicals are just that. They're made from mere polished 304 stainless steel, and they come with loads of features that you and I have been looking for. They have a full 2-inch bottom dump valve, which will eliminate your clogging issues, while the sturdy base includes four reinforced legs, just like those big pro tanks do. More Beer also carries the Brewbuilt line of options and add like casters, pressure kits, and even external glycol chillers. So you can find out more about the new Brewbuilt X1 Conical Uni Tanks by going over to morebeer.com for detailed videos on the entire line of Brewbuilt Conicals. You can trust Brewbuilt with your next fermentation, and you can trust More Beer to find the right conical for you. Brewbuilt at morebeer.com. Beer is about drinkability. Doesn't matter oh, yeah. the style. You guys are like walking beer Wikipedia. That's the first time that you've ever accepted me as a person. Or you have a fermentation in your gut. Yeah. I'm jet propelled at all times. <laughs> How many guys do you think that you have the privilege to slap? Somebody who's never tasted a commercial example, and this is how you know everything about this beer? Please, you don't. I think you know, it's bullshit. The, <laughs> I think it's bullshit, too. Wow. Are you guys going to arm wrestle? No. no. We're going to teabag fight. Yeah. <laughs> you heard of Junkyard Wars? Can no. I get another high five, Beavis? <laughs> now, live from the Brewing Network Studios in Northern California, this is the radio program for home brewers. Craft brewers, beer lovers, and beer geeks. It's your only source for live beer radio that brings expert brewers together with, well, expert drinkers. This is the radio program with a head on it. This is The Session. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's JP, and we're back here on the session. A lovely, rainy Monday evening, and I hope you guys are out there staying dry in podcast land. Although, if you're listening to this in the summertime, I just sound like a complete idiot, which is you know different than, than usual, I guess. On today's show, we have Brian from Bravery Brewing down in uh, Lancaster, California. The uh, Antelope Valley once again rearing its head and coming back on the show. Brian, welcome to the session. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we just had uh, transplants on last week. Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> watched that video earlier this morning, actually. <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. It was a good time. I was like, oh, wow, we were having a little and all we need is uh, Lucky Luke now. Yeah. And I think we'll, <laughs> we'll complete everybody. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I really appreciate it. And uh, before we get into, you know, to you and all the kind of fun stuff that we do, I do want to harass you a little bit because... Uh, normally we get people who send like, oh, well, you know what I think I'm going to do is send eight hazy IPAs and then like a canned water. And then that would be a good representation of, uh, but you sent four bourbon barrel aged beers. (laughs) (laughs) I have no shame. You really don't. And, you know, and that's cool. I respect that. Um, uh, this it, it's a lot. I was opening the 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 box, and you were very generous with the beer. So again, thank you very much. And I'm not I'm you know I don't mean to make too much light of it because I know these beers are expensive, uh, especially with the wax and everything like that. And the the lineup looks great. But I'm opening the box and I go, oh okay, wax dip. So automatically you, I'm sort of conditioned to be like, okay, this is going to be a barrel aged beer. This is what it is, right? 
Yep. Pull it out. Okay, cool. So this is a, a vanilla bourbon beer. Okay, great. Pull another one. Oh, it's the same. Do they send two of the same? Nope, that's different. Bo- okay, and then just going through and my, my, the reality set in of, of what tonight's going to be about. So I'm glad it's happening here with me and not in the studio because I think it would be a big, giant mess. However, when we do have... Um, in-person sessions again, I think you should come up because I think you're going to give everybody just the, you know, a great night. If you keep bringing beers like that. Yeah, for sure. Actually, it's supposed to be happening in January. Um, We're going to be transitioning back to in-person shows. I'm still going to be here, but um, Justin will be running shows um, from the studio and we can get, you know, a bunch of beers on and it'll be, you know, a little bit more like it used to be. But, uh, you know, such is life, man. We had to do it for the pandemic and uh, I don't know. Here we are. But yeah, that'll be cool, man. We'll try to get you back in there. So anyway, Brian, after all that, tell me a little bit about yourself, man. What's your brewing journey like? Were you home brewing before you got involved in uh, getting a paycheck? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, actually, I was I was thinking about that because I knew it was going to probably come up. Um, so much of my journey deals with the brewing network and with the More Beer uh, homebrew shop. Um Oh, wow. I was going. I was going to college out at UC Riverside, so I was just a few blocks away from the More Beer store out there, and uh, heard about it because they were doing uh, brew tutorials. I think like every Saturday or every other Saturday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as kind of like a poor college student, uh, you know, the word was like, "Oh, just go and pretend to be interested in the in the brew tutorial, and then you can drink <laughs> the the free beer from the last session." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. So sorry. Sorry, Rob. Dude, that rules. That that rules so hard. (laughs) Pretend to be interested, but that's a lot of work to put in for free beer. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Well, I mean, fortunately for me, moments into standing there was very interesting. Uh, I mean, it's so engulfing, like the, the aroma of the brew day, um, just everyone hanging out. It's, there's so much camaraderie, uh, for some reason, just standing around a, a pot of boiling wort. Um, so that, that really caught my attention. And then shortly after I was getting my first, you know, five gallon brew in a bucket kind of set up for more beer. Mm-hmm. And then very quickly after that, I graduated to a 20 gallon tippy dump system. Um, oh, geez. You went right in. Yeah. So I yeah. like about a year in, I was, I was brewing 20 to 40 gallons of wort every weekend, um, which was definitely past the legal threshold for one household. <laughs> well, if you're on the Roman calendar, maybe you had your own <laughs> calendar and your years are different. And that yeah. might be true. Um, so I went to school for film studies and was fortunate enough to, to be a production assistant right out the gate on some TV shows for a few years. Oh, nice. But every, yeah, but every weekend I would come back and, and homebrew. Um, I didn't have a garage where I was living in Orange County, so I would drive back here to the antelope valley to brew my parents garage and um kind of passions flip-flopped um i realized how intense you know the film and television industry is it's very dog eat dog uh i think you have to have a very aggressive personality to survive and do well in that industry um which you know kudos to everyone that's thriving in that industry i have all the respect in the world for those people (laughs) or even just paying bills that's, yeah. yeah, that's tough. And actually, it's the second you're the second person to come on and talk about uh, their stint, you know, in and around Hollywood. We had uh, the, the boys from Paperback. Oh, yeah. Brewing on in L.A. And uh, the owners were like um, on the ad side of things. And he mm. was like, it's just it's too much. Like, it's just a lot and wasn't enjoyable anymore. And then I brought up the parallel of like the um, Swimming with Sharks movie from the 90s. It's, I, mm. I feel like from what little I know about it, it's it's very much 
like that. It will destroy you and you will destroy other people and you'll feel good about it because you're furthering your career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, you have to be completely obsessed with doing what you're doing and not having much of a life outside of it. Um, which again, that works for a lot of people, but yeah. fortunately for me, I was able to recognize that early on in my like early to mid twenties. And then, um, like I said, I was living in orange County. So I was frequenting, uh, the brewery and bootleggers pretty often. Okay. Yeah. And ended up weaseling my way in as a volunteer at the, at bootleggers. And then after a little while, they took me on as an employee and that was really cool. I worked there for about a year and they were still relatively young. Um, I think they were on a seven barrel brew house. So anyone that was in there was kind of doing a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. So I got to help brew. I helped with seller duties, deliveries, bartending. Um, and something clicked that's like, Hey, I love home brewing so much. I love this job even on its worst days, which, you know, working in a brewery, there's a lot of bad days. Um, but I still walked in there every morning with a smile on my face. So it's like, I think this is what I want to transition into. And shortly after that, um, I was 24 going on 25 and my dad who has a business degree helped me put a business plan together. And at the time there were no breweries yet in the Antelope Valley Hmm. and we found a location that worked and, and went for it. And we opened our doors in 2012. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. That's very cool. How was that, that transition, you know, moving from the film industry, like you said, it's very competitive and it's very in demand. There's always somebody ready to put their foot in the door to replace you or whatever. Uh, I would think there's, you know, a little bit of um, hesitancy of like, am I doing the right thing? Especially, you know, in beer, there's a lot of that too. There's a lot of competition on the shelf. There's a lot of competition for, for, for guts, right? <laughs> you want your beer going in, you know, customers, right? Um, how was that? Was it hard to do? Was it hard to move from this fast paced film world to uh, a very, you know, labor intensive beer world? I mean, fortunately for me, doing like 70 hour work weeks uh, on the TV sets conditioned me to be able to, you know, work, 12 hours in the brewery every day. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, which, look, you can only get so much coffee for people, you know, <laughs> but, uh, I think, you know, if we were to try to open the brewery today, it would be a completely different story. What you're talking about, you know, the competition on, on the shelves yeah. and just how flooded the market is, which is great for the consumer, but really hard for the startup brewery. Um, us opening nearly 10 years ago, especially out here, I always kind of refer to us as like this, LA County tide pool. Um, there were no other breweries Kin- kinetic, which I'm mm-hmm. sure you're uh, familiar with. Yep. Um, they, op- they beat us to market by about five months, but we were significant overlapping of like planning time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually bartended there when they first opened. Oh, nice. Uh, Very yeah. Cool. Work, work there until we were able to get our license to brew here, which okay. I was very transparent about that. They knew they knew that I was opening up a brewery soon. Um, I'm sure they anyways, were fine with it. Yeah, I think we were just. I think we were fortunate. We were kind of shielded up here. There wasn't the same kind of uh, competition as there is, you know, in the Bay Area or San Diego or now LA. Um, and so we got to make a lot of mistakes and figure things out in real time. And we had a very trusting community that, you know, was like, Hey, we're just, we're just happy to have two breweries here and we're going to (laughs) make sure you guys are taken care of. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I, my hat, I tip my hat to anybody that's opening a brewery right now or just recently opened a brewery because it is completely different now. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming you're talking even just, you know, pandemic aside, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a ton of people out there, but what, what is, what would be the most difficult thing in your mind, pretending the pandemic wasn't even around about opening a brewery, even just your, even where you are right now? Um, so again, I, I love this industry cause I get to be nice most of the time where, like I said, in the film industry, being nice is a luxury. <laughs> uh, so it would be really hard to go into a bar that already is stacked with, you know, 10 craft beer handles. And then now if you want to get your beer in there, you're having someone get removed where it's a lot easier when I'm walking in and I see Bud Miller Coors tap handles. I'm like, Oh, I have no problem with those going away. Uh, right. Let's bring in some local craft. Yeah. But it would it would really hurt to walk in and know that if I go in there, it's at someone else's loss. Okay, that's why you didn't make it in film and TV because you're you're nice. You have a feeling, <laughs> yeah, which is a handicap in that industry. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, also, is it sort of just? Ex- I, hmm. I feel like it's almost expected in the beer world of like, well, that person's going to go away knowing that this is potentially like a rotating tap handle and I'm going to go away in six months anyways or something like that. Does it, does that factor into it at all? Or is it really just like, oh, that sucks because I know these people there, this beer is good, but mine, you know, is better or whatever. And so that's just the way it goes. Like, can you afford to be that emotional about it? No, for sure. And I I think I'm exaggerating a little bit just to kind of make the point, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a survival of the fittest, um, which is fine because you know if I if I ever lose a tap handle, um, it's like okay, well, what happened? You know, was mm-hmm. was it like you were saying it's just rotation nation that was going to happen eventually, yeah. or was it customer service, or did they have? You know, what I always like try to do is the right beer for the right place kind of a thing. It's like, did they did they take one of our imperial stouts where when they should have had <laughs> a pale ale? Are you talking about me specifically? No, I mean, you get nothing but barrel aged beer from me. Do you do you ever ask the venue, the bar or wherever, you know, that they took you off or they didn't order like, hey, what, you know, what happened? Was it? Yeah, we try. And mm-hmm. it's either a miscommunication or because uh, we, we put a lot of effort into our um, delivery system and and if they call us on a friday and like oh shoot we're so sorry we should have ordered more kegs from you guys when you delivered earlier this week we'll drive out there that same day um Hmm. which you know is the leg up that we have over bigger distributors being a small self-distributed brewery so it's not always just like they want to change or whatever sometimes it is just an error yeah i think a lot of it yeah miscommunication or like i said the wrong style for the venue okay that's interesting because I would never, I would never think to to do a follow up, but it is sort of like sales, <laughs> right? Where it's not yeah. like it's not you know in your face and you're sending spam emails or like you're going door to door or whatever. But it is there is I think sort of key points in a position like you're doing you know B two B sales or whatever to to do some follow up to take something from the marketing industry and kind of plug it into the beer world and f- check up with your clients and be like hey you know, tell me what happened. Maybe we can fix it. If you're noticing something that I'm not noticing. Yeah. Especially if we're talking about accounts that are much closer to us here in the AV. I mean, we do have our beer outside of here, but you know, these are people that I'm going to see on a weekly basis because they're other members of my community. And there are close to half a million people living in the Inlet Valley, 
but it still is a very, very small town vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can't just turn, you know, turn your back on someone knowing that, Oh, I'll just, I'll schlep my beer elsewhere. It's like, well, there's only so many places that you can do beer schlepping. So <laughs> right. make sure you don't burn any bridges. <laughs> How was uh, how was the city of Lancaster in opening up? I mean, you were the first brewery to really start start getting going out there. Um, you know, like you said, there were some timing issues that lined up with uh, with Kinetic. But and I know talking to talking to Steve that the city was very open to to having mm-hmm. Kinetic in. They really basically sort of bullied him into opening that place. Um, how were they with you as far as permitting and act and that kind of stuff? Generally. A, a first brewery isn't going to really have a whole lot of, um, you know, welcome wagon kind of things. There's going to be a lot of internally stuff with the city going on about, can we do this and permitting issues to figure out, did you run into any of that? Uh, big picture. It was pretty smooth. Uh, there was only a couple of things worth bringing up. Um, the, the one is that the Lancaster Boulevard where kinetic was, mm-hmm. is kind of the, you know, jewel of the city, uh, from the city's perspective. Yeah. Um, that's it's fine. I spent a lot of time there, um, <laughs> but they they really wanted us to open there. But we're a production brewery, and so it's like, guys, we can't spend that square footage. You know, we need a five thousand square foot facility minimum. And a that isn't on the boulevard, and b if it was, we'd be paying six times, eight times per square foot right. than what we're doing here, because uh, we're just that kind of traditional warehouse, uh, open space brewery concept. Um, so that was a little bit of friction initially, but then the other one that was kind of funny is it really blew their mind when we were telling them that we wanted to be open to all ages because they didn't really know what a production brewery was. So they were like, <laughs> okay. no, but you guys are a bar. If you don't have food, which initially we didn't, mm-hmm. then you're a bar. And they wanted us to have a bouncer giving out wristbands and no kids allowed. Huh. That's and- very old school. Yeah. So yeah. we had to put together a list of like 75 California breweries that were doing what we're doing 75. just to show them. Yeah. <laughs> Not 10 or 30, <laughs> it was 75. That feels like so, overkill just on purpose, just to make a point. Yeah. There's a little bit of that too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, so a lot of education, you know, when okay. you're the first to do something in an area, which kinetic beat us, but they were a brew pub. So the first production brewery out here, yeah. um, they didn't really know what to, how to deal with us initially. Interesting. Okay. When did you add food? That was in response to COVID. Oh, um, wow. Okay. So you went what, eight years or so without. Yeah. We having food. never right. ever wanted to get into, I love food. I spent a lot of my free time cooking. <laughs> um, I love food. I eat it three times a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I die. I die without that it. That would really would complete me. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I think LA County was the most strict in the entire country, probably mm-hmm. as far as the shutdowns and the duration of them. And, uh, I know you were talking with, uh, Matt and Sarah a little bit about it, but yeah, I mean, there was, there was months on end with us being forced to basically be a liquor store and just sell beer to go. Um, and about three months into it, it was just kind of like, I don't see where this is ever going to end. And if we're at the whim of having to have a food truck here, mm-hmm. which, Again, like I said, being a tide pool off of LA, uh, there aren't a whole lot of food trucks up here and then there's reliability issues. So if that truck, yeah, if they don't show up on a Friday night, legally, I'm not allowed to sell beer. And, uh, 
so that that's why we went with the kitchen but um that ended up being over a hundred thousand dollar project and it took about four months to knock out um we our former office which is about 600 square feet we just gutted that and ran all the sewage and the plumbing and everything and uh we have basically like a from scratch pizzeria now in the in the brewery wow and that's your kitchen is a is a little pizza pizza corner yeah that's yeah, cool, people. man. I mean, honestly, four months doesn't sound... I'm avoiding the $100,000 price tag because that's a <laughs> lot of money. But it doesn't sound like a bad timeline, all things considered. Uh, I mean, that's pretty... It seems pretty decent because you're doing it at the beginning of the pandemic when I'm mm-hmm. sure, you know, the city is probably going, I don't know what the fuck to do. Um, that seems kind of, kind of fast. Yeah, the, fortunately, because, you know, you're getting approval from the city, from the county, mm-hmm. uh, and some from the state um it's like hey we're making this decision because of the situation that you guys are kind of putting us in so we're going to do everything right but please make sure everything's expedited because every day that we're waiting to get this open is a day that we're you know hemorrhaging money yeah uh so yeah i think outside of covid that project would have taken probably closer to a year maybe um but since everyone was on our side trying to get everything rushed uh, i mean we were doing some of the inspections like through zoom which I, it was crazy, like <laughs> showing them some of the plumbing on the wall or something because they weren't able to make it out to to visit in person. I, that's that's weird and and very you know alternate reality, um, but that's also very cool at the same time. That is very accommodating. I don't know. I don't know. I, first of all, I've never heard of that. Let's do a building inspection over Zoom, right? Yeah. Um, but that that is like really nice. I mean, I know you said you're putting pressure on it, but. That's really a kudos to them for for sort of understanding that they're going to have to make concessions as well in order for reality to sort of keep moving forward. Correct. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was really waiting for you to be like, no one came out for like four weeks and they had to go down. Like, I know even Bev's having issues with, you know, dealing with like planning Spring Fest right now. It's like Mm -hmm. no one's talking to her. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Anyway. I think that's, that's cool, man. So you, you got open, um, pizza. Are you a big pizza head and you got like making pizza at home or whatever? Why pizza? Uh, I really like baking bread and I only did a little bit of pizza making at home, but kind of like at the top of the pandemic, when everyone started making sourdough, uh, I started making pizza. (laughs) That's true. And yeah, so about three months into that, it was like, we need to have a a food option of our own. Mm Mm-hmm you know, what, what's high margin, but also we could do artisanal. Um, and that goes great with beer and pizza is pretty much always at the top of that list. Yeah. And you can, artisanal pizza just means it's burnt on the top a little bit. That's what I think. I'm just kidding. I don't know. Yeah. No, it's, uh, you it's, know, 48 just, hour fermented dough and sauce yeah. from scratch, everything from scratch. We have a deli slicer. So we're like slicing our own prosciutto to put on the pizza and stuff like that. There you go. Attaboy. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely just teasing. You gotta, you gotta pizza is, it's not hard, but it's, it's, it's like making beer totally. or you can do it really fast and it it's a beer. Mm-hmm. But if you do it, you know, the right way and take your time and with the dough and whatever, um, then it's it, it's elevated a lot more. So definitely a lot of respect for for doing pizza the right way because it is very easy just to rush out. Oh, here's a fucking pizza, whatever. But you would yeah. you would do a, ter- a two day like cold ferment on the on the dough. Mm-hmm. Wow, sounds delicious. 
yeah, next time you're in the area, you got to come check it out. Yeah, man, that'd be cool. Uh, all right, so pandemic sounds like it forced your hand, blew a bunch of money on a pizza kitchen, but turns out to be a really great idea. Yeah, big picture, it's something we would have never done without mm-hmm. our hand being forced, but it's going to probably be one of the best business decisions we've made in a while. Wow, yeah, very cool. Um, well, I'm looking at these beers, and I feel like we should try one a little bit early. And then we keep talking and, and whatever. But, uh, you know, we got a lot of a lot of big beer to get through today, Brian. Yeah. So what should I do? I mean, okay, so here, let's go through. So we have the Shroud. We have two bottles of the Shroud. Tell me a little bit about uh, about that project and, and what that is. And help me help me guide me through what I got. I got two of the Shroud. I have the Lost Diner. And I have Move Into the Country. Yeah, so... I the shred, I would the blue wax bottle. I would save that for last because okay. that's a very peaty Isla Scotch barrel, um, and probably move into the country would be a good first one because it's the base is a wheat wine. Okay, um, let's do it. Yeah, were you doing a lot of these big beers when you were home brewing? Not so much when I was home brewing, but that is the style of beer that really caught my attention when I was getting into home brewing in the first place. Okay. Um, you know, the Eclipse series 5050 and uh, Old Viscosity and uh, Black Tuesday, of course, when I was living in Orange County. Um, so, yeah, just the big, dumb, over the top <laughs> beers that I know a lot of people will do a bottle on their own, but you should probably always share these beers. Yeah, for, yeah, for your health. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, interesting. When you opened, were you doing these right out of the gate or did it take a little bit to sort of work, uh, work your customer base up to, you know, to acknowledging these? So when we started, we were on a three barrel brew house. We're on a 15 now, but, uh, there just wasn't a whole lot of beer to throw into barrels at the first place. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, yeah. So about a year into being open, we started barrel aging for the first time and we've been very consistently barrel aging for the last eight years now. Hmm. Okay. And, uh, the beer you're drinking right now for a while, every hundredth batch of beer, we would do some kind of barley wine or take on a barley wine. And so about three or four years ago, we started making that beer and our head brewer at the time, he's, he's no longer with us. He opened up his own spot in Virginia called Decipher, which I'm very proud of him. Okay. Um, who was that? What's his name? Is that Roger? No, that's not Roger. Uh, Roger, I believe, is in Pittsburgh now. Oh, um, his name is Brad Burton, and he did work with Roger. There was some overlap between the two of them. But, yeah, he had the idea of putting the peaches into the wheat wine, uh, which I thought worked really well. Yeah. So then we barrel age it for a year in bourbon barrels, pull it out, dose it with more peaches, and then uh, cinnamon and whole nutmeg. Cinnamon and whole, and whole nutmeg. Okay, excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna let it warm up a little bit because um, it is it is uh, pretty cold. But it's 13.26 ABV. I appreciate the uh, specificity on that. Yeah. So on our Bravira lineup, which is our annual beer club, uh, we send all the all the barrel aged beers get sent out to get alcohol testing, and so mm-hmm. White Labs is nice enough to give us the two decimal points. <laughs> so I throw them on the label. <laughs> you paid for it, brother. You might as well use all the information. Absolutely. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, it smells great. So what is, define a wheat wine for me. And I know what it is sort of, but, uh, you know, for people who might not know, of course. Um, How do you differentiate a wheat wine, you know, from like a barley wine or something like that? 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, with educating like our tasting room staff, for instance, yeah. I always try to talk about how uh, saturation of something will change the way it's perceived. Like, you know, diacetyl, for instance, at a low PPM, it's kind of artificial butter, but then higher PPM, it turns into butterscotch. Wheat is an interesting ingredient where in a lower ABV beer, like a Hefeweizen or just a wheat ale, it gives that pillowy, fluffy mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. But for me, in my opinion, when you get past eight, nine, 10% on a wheat beer, it takes on kind of a vinous character. Um, okay. It's no longer that fluffy character. It's, it is like a silky vinous uh, mouthfeel, which I think you can get a little bit from rye, uh, but you definitely are missing that with hundred percent barley beers. Um, so then that kind of vinous uh, take on the beer, in my opinion, holds spices in a different way than an all barley beer will. And Hmm. if if it's better or not, I'm not really sure, but it's definitely different. And so in a lineup of beers, I always like having, you know, a wheat wine or a rye, you know, wine or rye strong ale kind of tucked in there. When you say it holds spices better, what do you mean? It, it, it showcases them more or it holds on to that, that spice level for longer in the bottle. I think the interplay on your palate is different. Um, And again, I don't know if it's better or it's not worse, but it's definitely different. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, So I just, I just like the way that certain baking spices uh, fold into some more vinous wheat forward beers. Okay. I wonder if it's because, I mean, wheat is sort of a lighter flavor than a barley. And so I wonder if that's, you still get the the protein structure out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Letting it warm up. I mean, I I get the the peaches, and it's it's weird. It's not like like peaches that you would you would necessarily maybe pick out right away, like peaches. You know, like a peach sour ale or whatever. That's like right up front because there's not there's not that acidity really. Yeah, but it's it's like the flesh. It's like the flesh of the peach, which yeah, I kind I of like. Saying. Yeah, because you know you taste it, and it's it's there's a little spice that hits. And uh, you get the wheat and, and uh, you know, the sort of malt in there. And then the peaches sort of ride that down. They're like the slide for everything else just to kind of like continue mm. on down the road. So it's a really nice uh, executed beer because you, you have that initial, this is a strong beer. And then the, uh, the, the peach flesh flavor sort of, you know, like I said, rides down to the, to the finish. And everything sort of washes out on your palate for as being a, a big of a beer it is. It's not cloying or overly sticky or, or anything like that. Yeah. How do you add the peaches? Are they whole peaches? Uh, we're using the Oregon fruit puree on that one. Oh, okay, perfect. And how do you? Where do you put that? In the uh, so with just a few points of gravity left, we'll throw it into the fermenter so there's enough fermentation to eat the sugars, uh, but not blow too much of the flavor off. And then post fermentation in the bright tank is where we soak cinnamon sticks and cracked nutmeg in some bourbon and throw that in there to sit on there for a bit too. But, um, all of our barrel aged beers sit in the bourbon casks for 11 to 13 months. Wow. How many points are you getting from the, the puree edition? So that's kind of interesting too. Um, there's a lot of batch to batch discrepancy on the puree. Um, not, really between the boxes because they're all from the same batch, but like year to year. Um, 
So we were trying to like dilute it with water, see where we're at, do the math. Uh, but then it just got to a point where this beer is always going to get uh, ran through an alkalizer anyways. So let's not worry about that. And we'll just see where we're at post barrel aging. Okay. Um, but I think looking back on the math, a lot of the times it would kind of have a neutral impact where um, the beer is so strong and then you're not necessarily putting, obviously the, the peaches have a lot of sugar, but there's yeah. also a lot of other mass in there that isn't just sugar. So it, it's almost like a nominal addition of sugar that is being added to the beer at that point. Okay. I see. I wonder if it's also um, sort of a factor of the yeast already being stressed out from being in a high alcohol environment that they're not going to go much higher anyways. Is yeah, that part of it too or not? That's, that's possible too. But I mean, we're putting um, like three to 400 pounds of puree into a 30 barrel batch of beer. So wow. I think that too is, it, it's a lot of fruit, but compared to the volume of the beer already there, it isn't that much of the overall percentage. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah, it smells good. I mean, warming up, definitely getting that nutmeg and that cinnamon combo. Even a little peach, too. Yeah, that's a cool beer, man. Thank you. That's really neat. And when was this released? 2019? Is that the 19 I sent you? Yeah. Wow. Okay, yeah, we, we just released the 2021, like, two days ago. So I wasn't able to nice meet the shipping deadline. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is this something you do every year with this, like, this specific? Yeah, so the, uh, the Bravira branded beers, that comes out every year right around the fall late summer okay and you said that's your beer club yeah how long have you been doing that uh we are going to be going into our sixth year i believe okay that pretty which pretty wild probably started that a little early uh because again we weren't fully developed into our like 15 barrel brew house um but i like to bite off more than i can chew <laughs> uh, sure so. why not otherwise it's not fun man yeah, and it, it keeps us, it keeps the production team kind of like with their feet to the fire. It's like, okay, well, we have 10 beers that have to come out next year. Um, so good luck. <laughs> yeah. Hope you survive, brother. Later, I'm going, I'm going to make some more pizza. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting beer, man. The, the, the peaches work really well with the wheat. I think it's a good combo. Yeah, I like it. And I'm assuming other people are liking it too because you're, uh, you know, you're still doing it. Yeah, especially fresh. Um, the spices are really, really bright, and I think the peach comes off a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but again, as it as it continues to age, I haven't we haven't pushed that beer much past four or five years. It hasn't fallen off for me yet. Uh, it's still continuing to kind of like round off a little bit. But it is fun to see where these beers are changing over the years and getting that imperial data with time. Like, okay, this this one's good for up to three years. This one's good for up to six years, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. And I can definitely see how, you know, fresher, everything would just be a little more focused. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's good. I like it. Um, all right, Brian, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to come right. back. We're going to crack open some more beers and uh, we'll get back into it. So uh, hang on, everybody. It's the session we're on with Bravery from Lancaster, California. We'll be right back.
you're tuned into this session. Because life's too short to listen to crappy radio. All right, thanks for hanging on, everybody. We're back with Brian from Bravery Brewing. We got three B's in that sentence. So, uh, you know, by the end of the show, I probably won't be able to say that. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I'm going to try my best. Um, you know, Brian, during the, uh, actually before the show, we were talking about your, your pizza oven and whatever, and you're going to be doing a cool sort of a charitable program in 2022. Can you tell me a little bit about that as well and link, linking up with your, your pizza kitchen? Yeah. Uh, so it's something that we're going to kick off January of 2022, and we're referring to it as pizza with a purpose. And so in a given month, we're going to pick a charity or foundation that's near and dear to our hearts. And for that entire month, a dollar from every pizza sold is going to go straight to that charity. Um, the, it means a lot to us on the back end because we built the pizza kitchen in response to COVID shutdowns and as a way to kind of foolproof our business moving forward. And we wouldn't have gotten through all of that without the support of our community. So it's like, all right, you guys took care of us when we needed it. Now that we're back on more sure ground, we want to give back as much as we can. That's nice. And um, yeah, it's, it's also a really cool way too to highlight some of these organizations that most people might not be aware of and uh, you know promote them and kind of bring awareness to the various causes that they're working for. Yeah, that's really cool, man. And you know, it, it does help sort of distill the amount of charities down um, for people. Like, you know, every year my wife and I try to give um, a little bit to a charity or two here and there, but it's hard to figure out which ones. There's so many. There's mm-hmm. a ton, which is good, but it's also bad that we need that much, you know, charitable, charitable giving these days. Um, but it's, it's, it's hard to narrow it down. I mean, you pick any subject, any sort of focal point of, you know, uh, under, under, uh, developed, uh, you know, preemies or, you know, kids or homeless children or whatever. There's a half a dozen charities on either, you know, anywhere you go. So that's, yeah. that's nice, man. That's nice. Is the charity going to make a special pizza? Uh, maybe down the road. <laughs> that would be um, kind of fun, man. Like you guys come in, just, let's develop a pizza. That's your pizza. That's the helping hand charity pizza or whatever. I don't know. And they get two that, bucks for that. I will think about that. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> that's pretty funny, man. I don't know. Uh, that's cool. Good job on you, man. All right. What you. am I, what am I doing now for this next one? Lost diner. Uh, sure. Yeah. I think kind of at this point, as long as we do the Isle of Scotch last, the other ones are kind of on the same tier. That was the other thing where I'm pulling these beers. I'm like, what order is this shit going to go in? It's all going to be like, here it is. But, uh, anyway, tell me about the lost diner, man. I got, I got two milkshakes on the cover, which I love a good milkshake. Yeah. So we, we took a rather straightforward, like Imperial milk stout, sweet stout. Um, it's about 11%. 10 percent abv before it's going into the barrels um so then that again sits in bourbon barrels for the entire year and then when we pull it out we're dosing it with i think the cacao nibs this year are from uganda and then a blend of madagascar and uh, papua new guinea uh vanilla beans uganda believe it brother uganda believe it yeah that might be sorry if i offended anybody but um where are you getting your barrels from as that opens up and sort of warms up a little bit? A couple of different barrel brokers. Um, it's been really exciting to see how that industry has really taken off too, with so many breweries, you know, taking advantage now of all these fun casks. Um, Kentucky bourbon barrel, 
uh, Noah Steingraber has been a friend the last few years and, uh, he always has his hands on some great quality bourbon barrels for us. Um, been going through Midwest, uh, barrels as well. Uh, you're not, you're not reaching out to like specific distilleries or whatever you're going through brokers. Yeah. 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 So it's been all brokers right now. We've, we've played with like some wine barrels from local wineries. Um, that's always really cool too. Uh, I would love in the future to establish a relationship with some of the distilleries and get the barrels directly from them. But right now the, the brokerage has been working out for us. That's cool. That's neat. Well, can you tell me the the name of the distillery that this comes from, the barrel, or do you know, or does it even matter to you? Uh, so with the beers that are getting dosed with the adjuncts, I don't care quite as much. Uh, it really comes down to like some brands in our experience uh, have more like structural stability, uh, less leaks, no. um, oh, less evaporation. Okay, qual- like quality of the barrel versus the brand of spirit that it comes from. Correct. Okay. Um, but then on the flip side, uh, we have we have a series of beers coming out in a couple of weeks uh, where it's it's an English old ale uh, that we age in three different distinct bourbon barrels. Oh, shit. Um, so like six eight-year Elijah Craig barrels, six 10-year Eagle Rare, and then six uh, 13-year Old Forester. Damn, and, dude. Uh, <laughs> You're getting some quality, some quality spirit barrels out of that. That's good. And I mean, that's, that's thanks to the overall interest, you know, in this industry where if, if only a few people were still barrel aging beers, then there wouldn't be this attention on the market, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even think that, that bourbon barrel age was such a big thing still. I think there's enough mid to small size breweries such as us that are playing with it Mm -hmm. frequently enough that Mm -hmm. together we, you know, create a large market. Yeah. Okay. Uh, cause I'm probably doing what, like one, one thousandth of what the brewery's doing. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I forget about the brewery. Honestly, we don't, just don't, we don't see them up here. You know, it's not really, uh, it's not really big for us up here anymore, but I guess it's also like that, you know, it's weird, man, being in this industry, especially on, on the side that I'm on, because it's like, if I'm not into a specific style, I have no idea what's happening. Like I don't really seek out bourbon barrel aged beers anymore um, because I'm too delicate and it's like, I'll just, you know, I'll have a lager or whatever. And like, that's what I'm like working on. So the whole barrel aged thing is like, I, I don't know. You guys could be setting them on fire when you make that. I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, but that's cool to see because it is a very interesting part of the brewing experience. It's like mm-hmm. taking taking a, a you know a piece of pro uh, not produce but um, agri- an agricultural product like a barrel which you don't really think about it but you know it can be and depending yeah. on how it was handled before and how it was charred and what levels they're going to have that can either make or break your beer or take it to a really awesome place or sort of break it down into like eh, maybe there's too much you know vanilla in or whatever but it's a very it's a very interesting concept and it's a whole uh, it's a whole uh, thing. Uh, that wheat wine's already hitting me, dude. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> sort of trailing off into my own brain. So I like this beer, man. It smells great. Uh, I, you know, I had one sip of it so far, and it, it very much uh, malt, like powdered malt, like you would make a like a, not a milkshake, but like a proper malt. Um, yeah. What are you What are you What are you putting in this beer? Uh, if you already told me, I apologize. 
But remind me, go ahead, oh, no. please. Uh, so the base is Maris Otter. And then um, I think what's bringing that kind of like Ovaltine uh, chocolate malt powder, yes. there's a lot of pale chocolate malt in there. Um, yes. I, I feel like at high uh, rates of use that that gives that kind of like baker's chocolate, powdered chocolate, um, which is ultimately okay. what we're trying to go for with that yeah. beer, with the, the two malt shakes on the on the front of the label. So um, you're not putting like malted powder or anything like that, malted milk powder or anything. You're just... Yeah, no, the only adjuncts in there are the lactose and then the cacao and the vanilla beans. Wow, that's cool. So, I mean, I think you're right. It must be the um, the pale chocolate adding the different flavor at the high levels, like you're saying, because I've had those things in beers before, but they don't they don't taste like this. And it's a very, it's a smooth mouthfeel, but it is very dark milk chocolate, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. It's not just like milk chocolate, which I fucking hate milk chocolate. I think it's disgusting. It's like one step below white chocolate, which is equally disgusting. It's like the worst thing you can ever eat. Um, but like dark milk chocolate, for whatever reason, it still has those dark focused flavors, the sort of bitterness that you get from cacao, but it's very smooth. Yeah. So the lactose is really doing its job and helping to yeah. carry things through. Um, and it's a very pleasant mouthfeel it's a very pleasant aftertaste as well on the palate it's all over my mouth like not just on my tongue but like on the top of my mouth it's weird man it's this, it's this very um this beer is definitely sitting around uh, differently than a lot of other beers i've had um that are similar how long do you leave the uh, cacao nibs in there for uh so those sit in there for around a week kind of just depends on what day of the production week they end up getting in there so it's probably like five to eight days on average you ever leave them in for longer than that i try not to um i would love to i have a whole bucket list of brewing experiments that i want to conduct but uh, (laughs) i'm sure you do man (laughs) yeah just not enough time and then uh not enough liquid to play with um but every year we I think we're up to about 120, 130 active barrels filled with, with beer right now. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, so we, it's, it's a big part of what we do. Uh, and we'll probably be closer to 200 uh, you know, active aging barrels within the next two years. So at that point, that's when I want to start doing more wow. of these tests where it's like, okay, how long is too long with cacao conditioning or how long is too long with you know, just being in the barrel in general? Um, so we've been pushing some of our barrel aging up to like 30 months, um, and then okay. just trying to catch it before it turns into vinegar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, you know, I've, I've done cacao before and I'll leave it for like four months on like a porter. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or an oatmeal stout, like my oatmeal stout, I'll leave it for two, three, four months. Sometimes four months I think is a little too long cause it pulls more of that tannin out of the, of the nib. Huh. Um, but for me, in my opinion, cacao nibs are like oak cubes mm-hmm. where you got to leave them in long for really to ha- to pull out more of that, the inside of the unit, whatever it is, right? The oak flavor from the oak cubes. I think it's the same thing with the cacao nibs. It just, it's a different round, more rounded flavor. Not like there's no flavor in here. That's not what I'm saying. Um, don't be afraid of it. Don't fear the time. Two months. I would go two months minimum. Okay. I'll, Definitely just do try like, that next time. And then, I mean, because like the other thing batch. too is like, you know, the amount of cacao as well. 
Mm -hmm. know, it's Mm -hmm. like if you're doing 10 pounds for a month or 20 pounds for two weeks. That is true that I've never done, but you, what you need is you need to hire a home brewer to just do this stuff on the side. Be like, look, bro, I'll pay you in beer. Here's eight things I want you to brew and age them and come back to me in six months and we'll see what's going on. You're blowing my mind. (laughs) Doing this all. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure I'm really, uh, you know, redefining the space for everybody right now (laughs) with these amazing things to talk about. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it is interesting because you, with the barrel age program and especially with with big beers, you really can sort of do whatever you want. Sky's sort of the limit. Yeah. And then so how do you it? And that's part of the, the the reason I never really did it as a home brewer. And that's part of the reason I really don't do a lot of stuff probably in life. It's like, how much of the thing do you need to do the thing? I, I don't really like experimenting. I want to know if I'm going to put my time into it. I want to know that it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And that's my downfall as a businessman <laughs> and just as a person in general, probably. Where it's like, why am I doing this? It's I don't fucking know if it's even going to pay off. But a beer, you have to do it. And especially if you have a palate like this, uh, a palette of flavors and stuff to draw from. There's that effort that you, that needs to be put in. It sounds like you're 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 doing the right way. You're doing it very slowly and methodically and trying to actually learn, which I don't even know what that means. That's cool, man. Yeah, this is a, a very this is a very good beer. Thank you. What's your favorite beer of these to 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 drink of your bourbon barrel aged beers? Uh, I am very happy with this current batch at the lost diner um because mm. this this was us starting to play with doing like multiple vanilla beans um which i think that you know madagascar on its own is great but just like hops the synergy between different types of vanilla beans uh the sum is always greater than the parts is what i'm finding um mm-hmm. so yeah and then we're always tweaking. Uh, so each, when, when you're doing a vertical of our beers, you know, there's going to, they're going to be 90% similar, uh, minus, you know, the impact of aging, but, um, we have uh, reverse osmosis water here. So we're, we're building our water profiles up from scratch. And so we're always kind of tweaking that year by year. And then, um, trying to find like the sweet spot of like, how strong do we want the base beer to be going into the barrels? Uh, Typically, those numbers only go up. They don't really go down. <laughs> Weird. So, yeah, these beers just keep getting stronger, I think, year by year. But uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to play. And um, I'm going to probably reach out to the homebrew community and see if I can hire them to do some experiments. Oh, you were serious? Yeah, man. I think I, that'd be I great. I like that idea. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. I thought uh, I thought you were like, yeah, no shit, dude. <laughs> of course that we but i can't do it or whatever but uh, uh, that, that was a genuine mind explosion oh okay cool well then hey i feel good about it um i, I of course anything that comes out of that development program i get 10 percent off the top okay. that's just for the idea that's that's fair you know how many people i've told that to and they go yep okay and i haven't got a single penny dude man i'm just kidding um yeah i think that'd be cool and you know what homebrewer wouldn't be stoked as shit to do something like that you know yeah to actually play a role in their local brewery like yeah. that, that that'd be really cool do a thing you know why not um okay let's do one more let's take a break we're gonna come back and uh you know i don't know do all sorts of weird shit okay so we're gonna save the isla um so we're gonna go with the shroud vanilla bourbon barrel age 2001 vintage tell me a little bit about the shroud please that's so a that's cool kind of that's our a good label, uh, dude. i like that little hog's head 
Yeah. It looks really nice. Our, it's like our second flagship. It's our flagship strong beer. Um, it is the beer that has won more awards for us than any other beer. Um, I think the non-vanilla, the bourbon barrel-aged shroud, has taken two golds at the San Diego International. And uh, the base shroud has a silver medal at GABF. Um, so just a, a base beer that I'm really fond of, really happy with what it's doing. Um, every year we, we age it in a variety of different casks. So this one was bourbon barrel age for a full year and then hit exclusively with Madagascar vanilla beans. Um, so yeah, just a really straightforward kind of ode to those bourbon barrel age beers that caught my attention uh, a decade plus ago. Excellent. Very cool. When you get a barrel, do you already know what you're going to do with it? Or do you get the barrel and you smell it and you examine it and you go, well, this would be good in, like, for example, the shroud with let's just hit it with just vanilla beans and see. Like, where does that process come in in the decision making? Uh, so the initial procurement of the barrels is something that it's like, okay, um, the beer's done fermenting. We've cold crashed it. Uh, now I'm going to order the barrels. So it gets okay. that conditioning time for however many, you know, one, two weeks that it takes for the barrels to arrive. Um, which to anyone else out there trying to barrel age beers, cause I've seen people that are just putting like room temp, non-crashed beer into a barrel. Uh, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure cause there's going to be so much dead yeast and unwanted particulates making its way into the, to the barrel. Um, sometimes if the production allows for it, we'll, you know, clarify it with biofine as well, just to put really clear beer into those barrels. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we typically know that we're going to age our beers for at least nine, 10 months. Um, so at that nine, 10 month marker, that's when we're going to start pulling samples to see what's going on. Um, we end up having a dump rate of like one out of 12. Um, oh, one out of 12 barrels. Yes. Okay. Uh, which I'm happy with. Cause we don't, we don't rinse them. We don't steam them. The barrels show up. We'll, do a little uh, water test on both heads of the barrel to make sure that it's holding water on the head. Okay. Because uh, if it can't keep water on the head, it's not going to keep beer inside. Nope. Um, but after about two days of doing that, then purge them with CO2 and fill the barrels. Okay. But it's not until after like nine, 10 months of aging that we're going to get an idea of where it's going. And uh, it's not one of the beers that I sent you, but we have an Imperial Brown Ale that we age in bourbon barrels. And the first time we did it, it just was like full amaretto, uh, like mm. this almond, the sweet almond marzipan kind of thing was coming out of it. And, uh, so we ended up dosing that with almonds and cherries. Um, and that's something that we would have never thought of doing until the barrel kind of like showed what it wanted to do. Nice. Okay. And then at what point do you leave all that stuff in the barrel? You know, like you said, the almonds and the cherries, are you putting that in the barrel or is it like in a tank afterwards? How do you... How do you play yes. with ingredients? So, so far, nothing goes into the actual barrel. We're racking everything out. Um, okay. if, if everything like meets the blend or sometimes we'll like, some of these barrels are more coconut or vanilla forward. We'll treat that over here. These ones are more like neutral. So we'll just have them be straight up. Uh, but either way, yeah, it all gets racked into a bright tank. And then that's when we'll put the adjuncts or whatever we're going to use into the tank as well. Got it. Okay. You know, you need to do, 
and I say need, um, is find a distillery and give these barrels to. Mm. Like throw a gin in there or, you know, tequila, or yeah. not tequila, but agave spirit or whatever, depending on whatever. That'd be cool. And then you can get the barrel back. That would be cool. Yeah. I th- Do you have distilleries out there? I mean, I don't even really, I mean, assuming it's, you know. Not up here. I know there's a couple in LA proper, and then there's some out towards like Santa Barbara and whatnot. I'm walking away with a lot of homework assignments tonight. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, uh, maybe. Oh, only if all of my ideas were as well uh, as well accepted, Brian. I feel like you should be on every show just to tell me that I'm smart. Um, it's funny, man. Listen, uh, it's listening. Listening to this beer, I get a lot of... Now, smelling the beer, it, it takes me back to um, my very first job. This is a stupid story, but I don't really give a shit anymore. Um, at Thrifty Ice Cream, which is now CVS. Thrifty's is now CVS. Um, and I was working the ice cream counter and like walking into that store it, by the ice cream counter. I didn't really realize it until now. It's that vanilla essence that's sort of just in the air from you know a lot of the ice cream. That's what I get out of out of that. And then like the ice cream freezer. It's that mm-hmm. same like, I don't know, it's it's cool um, having a smell that can just sort of take you back to when you were like 17. Yeah. Un- non-beer related, you know what I mean? So it's uh, it's really cool. And then tasting it sort of has that same, just right back there. It's really nice. I love that so much about the olfactory sense and just how it's connected to our memory and our emotions. That's, it's magic. I mean, it sounds kind of silly to call it that, but it, but it is. Yeah, it, it's cool. And it's, it's, I don't know, man. Sometimes I, I, I think that we don't really understand that as much when we're, when we're talking about beer, when me personally, when I'm, berating a beer or even just breaking it down. I mean, sometimes if you, if you sort of pull something apart to, to really examine it, you sort of lose some of that magic. And that, I think that's okay. You, you, you can call it magic because it sort of is what, you know, what our forefathers would probably call <laughs> magic or whatever. <laughs> this beer is time traveling me. It's transporting my brain back in the whatever. Um, this is a very good beer, man. You know, just like all the others, it's a very uh, strong malt character, but uh, a lot of dark chocolate, like bitter chocolate flavors. Um, the vanilla's there, but it's not like overly sweet vanilla or very um, aggressive vanilla. It's just the right amount. I wouldn't want any more. There's no yeah. or no more vanilla would go in here. The barrel, I think, is there a little bit, but I think in your in your barrel beers, I think what you're doing is you're you're putting the beer first, and I I appreciate that because sometimes you get barrel beers and it's like. Oh, this was in a barrel. <laughs> it wasn't. It's like someone took sandpaper on your tongue first. Um, and these are not like that. This is a beer first. And I think that's that's hard to do. And I think that really um, attests to to your timing, when to pull it out. Yeah. What do you do with Rachel. the what do you do with the beers or with the barrels um, when you're when you're done? How many times do you use these barrels? So to date, all of our barrel-aged beers are one and done. Okay. Uh, so they turn into planters or decoration behind me. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So I, I've had a lot of beers that were twice, you know, used barrels, mm-hmm. and I think you know, in in lighter beers too. Um, like I think Firestone Walker is doing their like Oktoberfest beer in a oak barrel or something like that um it's really nice 
but that's not what we're doing. Those aren't the beers that we're barrel aging. Uh, so again, because we're making the year long commitment to these beers, I would hate to, you know, refill a cask and then not be happy with the the result. So a lot of what we're doing here too, is just like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of a thing. Um, while trying to a lot in the future, little, like I said, experiments or so like probably down the road, we'll see what happens when we, when we do a second use barrel, but just for right now, uh, production timelines are so tight and we know what we're going to get with what we're currently doing kind of a thing. Yeah. Got it. As this beer is warming up, I get like a marshmallow flavor to it, but not in, sometimes I'll use that as a, as a, like a sort of an off flavor descriptor. And that's not what I mean. It's like a, a light marshmallow flavor, if that makes any sense. And I think that's just a function of the beer design and how it works with the barrel. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting beer. I like this a lot. Yeah. Good job, man. I dig it. Thank Thank you. All right, we're going to take our last break here, Brian. We're going to come right back. We're going to drink uh, the last beer, the Smoky Guy, as I'll call it, and uh, learn more, a little bit more about what's going on there, and then uh, we'll let you split. So uh, cool. hang tight. All right, everybody, it's the session. We'll be right back with Brian from Bravery Brewing. See, I said I'm, I'm still doing it. I'm saying it good. <laughs> Segmented, demented, fermented. fermented. It's the session. <laughs> All right, what's going on, everyone? It's the session. We are here with Brian still. He's still hanging around for some reason. From Bravery from Bravery Brewing down in Lancaster, California. Home of the great Push Eject. Oh, yeah. Charlie. Yeah. Good dude. All right. I'm cracking this last one here. Uh, but, you know, I got to ask, do you do a pale ale at all? Do you do, yes, a, do. like normal beers? So uh, it's a little wild in our tap room. We'll have up to 36 beers on tap. Wow. Because at any given point, we'll have about 12 barrel-aged beers. And then... Uh, 12 barrel... Okay, you are, I think <laughs> you need to step away from the brew house. And uh, yeah, that is... Wow. I spent way too much time hanging out at the brewery in Placentia. It, it tainted me. Yeah, I um, think so. It sounds like it. <laughs> But uh, no, I mean, it. like you were talking with the, the transplants guys, like it is miserably cold out here for several months out of the year, uh, which is just prime, in my opinion, barrel age drinking weather. Um, but no, we, we have we have a Kolsch year round. We have a Hefeweizen year round, uh, Pale Ales IPAs. Um, okay. A lot of a lot of traditional style beers. Um that, that do really well for us in the tap room and in the surrounding area. But for me, from a really selfish standpoint, um, I both love drinking barrel aged beers and then I love the process of making them because yeah. brewing is such rigid science. And then it's like, all right, I have this, you know, product that I've made very close to the recipe. And then now I'm going to throw it into this organic vessel that's going to do whatever it's going to do. Yeah, right. And I have no idea. Yeah. And I hope it's great, wow. but you know, maybe it's not. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, of course you like drinking barrel beers. You have a beard and wearing a flannel. 
Yeah, those are I'm two checking, all, checking <laughs> yeah. a lot of boxes. Yeah, those are really two uh, key points that you got. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, that's good, you know. And and I last time I was well, not last time I was in Lancaster, but uh, a few years ago went to to Bravery. You guys had a lot of beers on. I was very impressed with uh, with just the overall number um, and the quality of the beer. So, um, uh, but I don't remember as many barrel aged beers uh, as that. Is that something you've been, you've been ramping up over time? It's probably so. Were you there with Justin at the same time? No, no, I was not. I was there. I think when Roger was there, whenever that was. Okay, years. It was a long time ago. Yeah, there was one. Just one day of several years back, and Justin and some other Brewing Network guys came in, but I, I can't remember who all was there. <sighs> yeah, I can't but, remember. Probably. I mean, it just seems like every other like thing I've ever done, where it's like we're just <laughs> walking into a. A warehouse and then we got a beer um i don't think i was i don't think i was yeah because we probably when you were last in here uh we hadn't expanded to our uh we, we took over an adjacent warehouse and that's our production space now oh yeah definitely not no that looks cool i'm looking at behind you have uh looks like an open air dining area yeah we have a really big back patio that okay was looked like a freeway overpass for a long time with all the tents <laughs> out here because everyone wasn't allowed to come into the building. Okay. But, uh, yeah, no. So we, we were using our one taste, our one, uh, walk-in cooler in the tasting room as our everything cold room. And then okay. when we got the production brewery, we were able to wrap more taps around the other side. So nice. we went from like 14 taps to 30, 34 plus two beer engines. Wow. Yeah. I definitely missed all of that. And uh, how many fermenters do you have? You have, you said you have a thirty barrel brew house, uh, fifteen barrel 15 brew house, barrel brew. Okay. and we have five thirty barrel fermenters and okay. uh, two sixty barrel tanks. Wow! So we're we're keeping busy. It's it's been uh, good and bad the last two years in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> what are your plans for the future? Uh. So I think we're finally, cause we pre COVID we had about 12 employees and then now we have 30, uh, wow. largely due to the pizza kitchen. Cause that's, we have really broad hours. We're like 11 AM to 10 PM every day. Um, a second location I think is definitely the obvious next move in the next year or two. Um, I love what like uh, Figueroa Mountain has been doing where they kind of leapfrog like every 45 miles away from their headquarters. Mm-hmm. So you're like ret- you're retaining uh, your brand recognition. You're not like some new player just coming into a new market. Um, so that and then, yeah, again, just continuing to explore and refine. And um, only in the last couple of years have we been seriously submitting beers to to brewing competitions and Again, like the the stronger beers have been doing really good for us, so that's very validating. But also, kind of <laughs> keeps you like on a on a good track. I think, like, all right, we don't really have to play with that beer too much more. You know, like let's let's move on to the next one that we think we have to kind of tweak to get where it needs to be. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, I cracked this last one open. I lay Scotch barrel aged shroud. This one lets you know that it was in a barrel. Yeah, it's it's you know on my lap basically. I'm holding it and I can smell the the peat. <laughs> yeah, the tire fire. <laughs> yeah, but I love peated scotch. I think it tastes it it smells 
uh, weird. It's like that iodine fresh Band-Aid, um, you know, sort of thing. But it with the malt in the background, it, it works. You know, normally mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to be smelling iodine. Um, but I don't get a lot of that, you know, out of here. I get like the, that, that classic like Islay. It's not really heavy. It's very light, you know, uh, almost like seaside, you know, mm-hmm. um, with a little bit of the, um, the light malt coming through. When you get some Islay Scotch barrels, how long do you consider leaving the beer in first versus your reality? And I know that might not make sense, but if I got Islay Scotch barrels, I'd be like, oh shit, I, I would think like, Six months. I don't want it to get too peaty and too, you know, over over gonzoed here. Um, was there a fear that you were going to just totally ruin it with these barrels? Yeah. So uh, this is only the second time we've aged this beer or any beer in a Isla Scotch barrel, um, and it was actually a Lafroig barrel to be oh, specific. Nice. This yeah. one was. Um, yeah. That was really cool too, seeing like the white painted head with the Lafroig <laughs> stencil on the barrel when they showed up. That's cool, um, man. But so two years or three years ago, I guess, when we were putting a beer into a Laphroaig barrel for the first time, uh, we let it go the full year because our okay. thought was we'll either back blend it if it's too much uh-huh. or keep it as is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this is pretty peaty and pretty like noticeable, but last year's batch was even more intense. Um, and so I was there with my brew team and we're sampling the, I think it was about six Lafroy barrels that we filled and, uh, they all hated it. They're like, we have to back blend this. This is insane. And I was like, okay, but just to, just to clear the air, like, does any of you, do any of you actually like Isla scotch? <laughs> and they're like, no, we hate it. And I was like, okay, so normally this is very democratic, but I'm going to have to veto that decision. Yeah. And- that's like saying, "Oh man, this this uh, this Russian Imperial Stout, I I hate it. We got to dump it. I don't like the style." But actually, all your staff sounds like they work. Uh, they they have untapped accounts where they just go, uh, "No, two stars <laughs> out of five. This is it's, I don't like the style at all." Oh, uh, that's the worst. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So just yeah, I feel like with certain things, uh, it's a love it or hate it. I think yes. Isla Scotch is absolutely one of those. Oh, so. Yeah, dude. Yes. 100%. It's very polarizing. Yeah. So this was just a decision. It's like, we're not going to make as much of this specific variant as our others. Uh, this is for the Isla Scotch lover. Um, Whoever you, know, you are. Yeah. And so if anyone reaches into our bottle cooler and we see them grabbing a, a blue wax bottle, it's like, please offer them a sample first before you sell them that bottle. Because if they don't know oh. what they're getting themselves into, they're going to be upset. Okay. So, so what I would do is I would, that's a good way to get a free taste of beer. See, just like you were trying to do a more beer years ago, um, (laughs) which is still hilarious, man. And that's one of the reasons, not one of the reasons, but we at more beer in Concord, we used to, um, just have, you know, homebrew on tap all the time, you know, brew a kit or brew a whatever. And you put the extra on tap and people come in, you drink and you offer them beer or whatever. But then people, and I think it was mostly the, uh, pipe fitter union, uh, training hall that was around the corner. They would come in. We'd have guys in like suit and ties like come in just during lunchtime, and they would go right to the back where the cooler was, <laughs> right to the back of the walk-in, and pour a pint and literally chug it, and then they would walk out. Oh man! And so we eventually had to like stop, <laughs> stop putting that on there because it would just be like you're just you're not. I mean, kudos, 
Good that's job. So, that's so brazen. Did you? <laughs> just a pound, like just some IPA. Just wow. And then that's it. See you later, oh, man. man. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. That is very funny, though. Uh, leave it up to college kids to figure out how to get free beer. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was pre Reddit, pre modern internet. <laughs> internet 1.0. Wow, this is uh this is an amazing this is an amazing beer because the 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 Isla Scotch really comes through more than I would expect. And I know I know what you mean. It's it's a beer for Scotch lovers, for Isla lovers specifically. Um but it's not overpowering in any way, mm-hmm. but it is sort of almost elevated above the beer. Yeah. Which normally I would shit all over. Um, but I think it works with that particular style, with this particular style of, of, of a scotch. Because it's, you know, sort of light in general, like the, the, the scotch flavor of, a, you know, like a you know, scotch um, is sort of, you know, light, lighter malt. It's sort of a sweeter malt thing. But that Islay is really overpowering um, in the scotch, and that's why it's so polarizing. Um, but you don't really get a whole lot of, what am I trying to say? It's almost like you, you took the Islay portion of the scotch, and transplant it into the beer. And I think that makes it okay. Because just like in an uh, Islay Scotch, you have the 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 Islay, the aromas and and you know all that kind of differentiators. Um and then you have the scotch. Well, in here you have all those aromas and then you have the beer. Yeah. So it's almost like you you replace the head of that scotch flavor wheel and then put it on top and transplant it on top of a beer. That's interesting. I kind of like it. I mean, I think that's really that's really neat. It's neat how it sort of like evolved like that. Yeah, and so with this beer too, the we didn't change the base Russian Imperial Stout going in. So what I feel like some because a not a whole lot of people are using Isla Scotch barrels to age beer in the first place, yeah. but when they are, I feel like almost all of them are adding peated malt to the base beer, hmm. and I I think that on paper that makes sense, but then in execution it's just too much peat. And you don't have any like uh, pause away from just peat, peat, peat. Yeah. But then also too maybe because you know smoke is a is in the phenol family, and I'm wondering if because it has a tendency to be so volatile that that's why you're just being hit with like that over the top kind of peat on the top because it's it's a phenolic that's you know wafting off the beer right up into your olfactory. I wouldn't want more peat than this same i wouldn't want it i like the i like the base beer the way it is because it's sweet it's that dark you know almost bitter chocolate mm-hmm. with cocoa flavors to me that cleans up those smoky phenols in the head yeah i i love this particular beer with like salted caramel fudge and like hard cheeses it's it's such a fun like charcuterie beer yeah that's um yeah that's a really fascinating combination how do people like this beer are you getting a demand for this beer that's what i'm trying to ask because it's a hard it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes uh so if i didn't like this beer we would not be making this beer okay uh there's a a really small really really small group of people that really enjoy this and i think um a lot of the bottles that get purchased are then gifted to scotch drinkers. I feel like ah. is what I'm, I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, cause again, 
we'll have that quick exchange like hey do you like isla scotch before you buy this bottle and they're like oh no i hate it but my my brother or my dad or whoever really enjoys ardbeg lafroig whatever so i'm going to give this to him that's cool i like yeah. that i can see that um uh, i guess a, a better question would be have you had any angry responses to the beer where they pick it up and they go this is not what i expected <laughs> I could see that. Too. Yeah, I mean, a little bit, a little bit. Um, it'll sneak its way into a taster flight here and there. And then okay. it's like, it's the one glass that just has a small sip taken from it. And every other glass is empty. Which, but again, I mean, fair that's, enough, that's, man. Yeah, it, yeah, we're running a business at the end of the day. But also at the same time, it's like, I'm doing this out of a passion that I've had for a very long time. And if I don't get to sprinkle in some stuff that's purely just out of what I subjectively enjoy, um, then like, what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, well, Brian, I think we'll let you go, man. I really appreciate the time and the, and the beers. They're all tasting really good, man. Uh, next time, send me a lager, would you? For God's sakes. Okay. Yeah. You won't get any more barrel <laughs> beers, at least not next time. But, uh, <laughs> no, it was good, man. You know, it was, it was interesting because, uh, you know, immediately I go like, oh shit, I don't know what to talk. Like, it's going to be hard, but it wasn't hard at all because it's, you know, the, they're, they're all very different. Even though they're they're you know close to the same style, I guess, except for the wheat wine. Um, but it's just the the barrel talk and like how we're talking about adding stuff to it and how long and where do we get them and how do we keep them or whatever. Um, it was all really interesting and stuff that we don't normally talk about on the show um, because you know we're we're getting uh, you know no offense we're getting a more diverse <laughs> crowd of things. But I like the focus and uh, you know I'm glad that it's a passion of yours. And I think that really comes through, um, you know, I mean, God, you have, you have 10 or 12 or 15 or a hundred. I forget how many you said, um, you're crushing the barrels, man. And, um, I think they're all working out They're all, they're all tasting great. So I think that you have a really good, uh, idea on how long to leave them in and the flavors they're providing and, and how to work best with the beer that you're brewing, which is hard cool. to do. I mean, that's all really tough to do with these kind of things. So good job. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, uh, again, I have listened to so much like brew strong and the other, uh, shows on the brewing network uh, as a home brewer and then nice even as a commercial brewer so keep doing uh, what you guys are doing well, thanks, uh, man. such such an honor to to be a part in any small way well it should feel that way um <laughs> uh where can people find out more about bravery brewing uh braverybrewing.com we're actually launching a totally revamped website by the end of the uh, year oh great and at bravery brewing on all social media platforms Excellent. All right. Brian, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Cool. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks a lot for tuning in. I appreciate that. Thank you to our sponsor, More Beer. You can go to morebeer.com and learn about absolutely everything you need to make great beer at home. You're also coffee roasting, mead making, wine making, all kind of fun stuff. So check them out, morebeer.com. They support this show and uh, basically most of the crap we do on the Brewing Network. So uh, if you're you're not in the market for homebrewing, uh, supplies yet or you haven't brewed another batch in a while or whatever send them an email and just thank them at least for for being a part of the show and keeping keeping the show alive uh, we'd appreciate it all right everyone thanks a lot stay safe and uh till next time we'll see you later ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, an just my sky and winning the race jp does great as his cherry